Then, for a long time he stood as one, graven of stone, and the two were alone, silent before the doors of Nargothrond. And Glaurung spoke again, taunting Hurin, and he said, Evil have been thy ways, son of Hurin, thankless fosterling, outlaw, slayer of thy friend, thief of love, usurper of Nargothrond, captain foolhardy, and deserter of thy kin, as thralls thy mother and thy sister live in Dorloman, in misery and want. Thou art arrayed as a prince, but they go in rags, and for thee they yearn. But thou carest not for that. Glad may thy father be to learn that he hath such a son, as learn he shall. And Turin, being under the spell of Glaurung, hearkened to his words. Then suddenly Glaurung withdrew his glance and waited, and Turin stirred slowly as one waking from a hideous dream. Then Turin, drawing back his sword, stepped at the dragon's eyes, and Glaurung, coiling back swiftly, towered above him and said, Nay, at least thou art valiant beyond all whom I have met. And thy lie who say that we of our part do not honor the valor of foes. See now, I offer thee freedom. Go to thy kin, if thou canst. Get thee gone. Then Turin, being yet bemused by the eyes of the dragon, believed the words of Glaurung, and turning away, he sped over the bridge. But as he went, Glaurung spoke behind him, saying in a fell voice, Haste thee now, son of Hurin, to Dorloman, and if thou tarry for Findelas, then never shall thou see Morrowin, thy mother, and Neonor, thy sister, and they will curse thee. Hey, welcome to episode 12 of uh, Keep on Tolkien. Welcome back, guys. That was that was a bit of a long one, but we really wanted to let you know quite how we left off at the last episode. Right. Yeah, it left off in a sad place. Yeah, it, it's not good. We've been uh, drinking now for a good portion of the hours, night, yeah. a few hours, uh, just getting ready for this. We're recording these two parts back to back, if you didn't know. And uh, it's there's there's a reason we're drinking. It's it's, <laughs> it's been pretty sad, and it's about to get even more sad. We did t- kill that tequila. Yeah, we did. We killed a bottle of tequila, a bottle and, of tequila, a, tequila and a twelve pack. And almost a case of strong girl. So episode twelve, uh, Turin Turinbar. So when we left off, we left Turin after a tragic sacking of the Noldorian kingdom of Nargothrond. Nargothrond has fallen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not good. And so yeah, uh, at the um, at the a- at the fall of Nargothrond, uh, Turin comes face to face with Glaurung. Glaurung the dragon. And he deceives Turin into believing that his mother and sister are thralls in Dorloman, his his home country that he came from. Now, in all reality, during this time, Morrowin and his sister Neonor, who he's never met are not in Dorloman anymore. During this time, they have actually moved. They've actually made their way to Doriath. They moved south. Looking for Turin 
oddly enough. Yeah, uh, the events of uh, Turin hanging out with his outlaw band of folks slaying orcs in the northern portions of Beleriand is actually exactly what gave his mother Morwen and his never-met sister Neonor. Uh, that's what gave them the chance to actually move south. Because before then, the land had been ridden with fighting and orcs and whatnot. But uh, at this point, they were able to move south. So during a lot of these events that we just talked about in the last episode with Turin, Morwen and Neonor had actually moved south to Doriath already. Looking and it, yeah, and that was all because of what Turin was doing with Beleg when they had their land of Bow and Helm. They were clearing the the ways. Of, well, I suppose that was when uh, he was the Black Sword of Nargothrond, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so when he was the Black Sword of Nargothrond, he was clearing the ways for uh, for Morwen and Neonor. Not that he knew that. Not that he knew that. At this point, by the deception of Glaurung, he's running back home to Dor Loman to save them, but they're not even there. But where are they? So they're back in Dorloman. Or, excuse me, they're back in Doriath. In Doriath. And uh, by the time they got there, they obviously found that Hurin, or Turin was not there. Um, they heard a little bit of what happened, and they lived there for a while, not knowing quite where he was. Now, at one point, Morrowind uh, gets restless, and she wants to find her son. So she sets out on a bit of an endeavor with Neonor and some elves from Doriath, some Cinderin elves, and they traveled to Nargothrond because they heard about this. The Black Sword of Nargothrond. This Black Sword of Nargothrond sounds just like... Sounds like our boy Turin. Sounds like our boy Turin. That sounds like what he was doing here when he was in Doriath, just over in Nargothrond now. So they head over to Nargothrond. Oh, but not knowing their timing could not have been worse. They go to... Yeah, they they do eventually get to Nargothrond. And they see that it's been sacked, right? Yeah, they uh, they literally arrive at Nargothrond to find uh, Turin right after the sacking of Nargothrond. So Nargothrond has fallen. The orcs have plundered the place. Laurung has, you know, completely raided the halls of Nargothrond. And there's a dark vapor that's covering the land. Little did they know, Glaurung saw them coming and he put up this vapor. And uh, so, yeah, there's this weird black vapor around and... Um it's uh, it's from spoiler alert. It's from the dragon. Yeah, dragon saw him <laughs> coming, and he put up a a whole j- big stinky mist of uh, of vapor. So um, as uh, w- uh, Neonor tries to climb to the top of a hill to see through this cloud of vapor, um, lo and behold, who is up there? But Glaurung the dragon. Yeah, there's an awesome scene where they kind of get everyone gets lost in the vapor. Um, she gets separated, uh, Morwen, the mother, gets separated. All the horses kind of go crazy and they all run off. They get separated from the elves. Morwen, Morwen disappears off into the mist and Neonor tries to figure out what's going on. She climbs to the top of this hill to see over the mist. And what does she see? Nothing else other than this big black head. Just boom. Just glowering. It's just right there. Right up in her face. And at this point, just the way Turin was entranced... Uh, at the sacking of Nargothrond, he entrances Neonor as well, just staring right into her eyes. And he basically inflicts on Neonor a, uh, a, an amnesia. Yeah, total total mind wipe. Completely. Like, she doesn't know how to speak. She, yeah, she doesn't know speak. how to do anything. She's mm-hmm. completely like a, like a newborn child. And she rips off her clothes and just runs. She doesn't even know what to do. She just takes off. She takes off into the forest. 
yeah, and so that's pretty much um, where. Uh, so Morwen is is MIA. Yeah, she's just gone at this point. Morwen's gone, uh, and for uh, all we know, she's dead. And Neonor is crazed and running around, and she's naked and doesn't doesn't know, know anything. Speak. Doesn't even know her own name. She doesn't know anything at all, and she's just crazed running through the forest. All right, so we're gonna leave you there for a second on that one. So that's kind of that's a short version of what's been going on with Morrowind and uh, Neonor, the mother and sister, during this point in time. So we're gonna we're gonna drop in back on uh, Turin here. So Turin is uh, he's he's finally made his way back to Doloman. Uh, he finds his old home that he grew up in is empty. <coughs> um, and he uh, he finds out from a a servant of his that he was close with when he was a kid. Um, who his name is Sador. They call him, but he calls him Labadal, which means club yeah. clubfoot. Yeah, this was like a servant, an old friend of Turin when he was a kid, a little kid. And he meets uh he meets up with um with Turin, and he says that uh, this lady Iron knows where um where they've gone. Yeah. Uh Iron was was basically a friend of of Turin's mother. Right. And she has been wed to uh Broda who's like the I guess you could say he's like the governor of this new like occupied right. territory. Yeah, he's one of those evil Easterlings that came and took over, so he's kind of the the ruling slave driver guy. So Turin basically goes in there and um he's kind of guns blazing and he he grabs Broda by the fucking throat <laughs> and basically, like, breaks him in half, essentially. I mean, not breaks him in half, but, like, breaks his body. And then he's he's done for. And then he kills all the other Easterlings in the room. And he kind of starts this... Uh, um, <clears throat> and he does this because uh, Iron won't tell him where... Um, where Neonor and Morwen have gone. Yeah, he's upset. He's very upset. Yeah, she's she's obviously Iron being kind of forcibly wedded. This guy is kind of hesitant to betray this guy that has enslaved her entire land. Right. And so out of rage, Turin just grabs the guy by the throat and throws him across the room and coincidentally breaks his neck while he's doing it. And I mean, at this point, Aaron knows that she's kind of screwed anyway right and then this is kind of when the shit hits the fan right so to speak the fu- the fucking the people that have been living in thraldom under the easterlings the the remainder of the house of hador yeah all the men up in Dorloman. they so they're basically old and sick because they were the only ones that didn't die in the near nave mm-hmm. and they take up arms and they start killing easterlings too and there's a little bit of a a little revolt there for a second and some of them actually um uh turin heads out because iron Finally tells him. Well, Iron finally tells him, but then do you remember what she does? Oh, Iron uh, burns the the house down, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, she burns the house down with herself inside of it. Yeah, just to kind of like get rid of all the evidence, and she lets Turin know that hey, your family's actually not here. They went to Doriath to find you. Mm-hmm. Would have been easier if she said that in the first place, but yeah. she didn't. But now there's this whole little rebellion that <laughs> came up as a result of that, and and what really sucks about it all is this co- totally unnecessary trip for Turin to make, essentially makes it harder for the House of Hador. Like, they're persecuted more cruelly after, after Turin has this little rebellion. Yeah, they don't ultimately, you know, the rebellion doesn't quite go anywhere. Right, they don't overthrow the Easterling government no. or anything no, like no, that. No, 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 no. It, it comes to an end, and then, they, yeah, they're treated even worse after this, which is just one more thing on Turin's conscience. 
So at this point, Turin doesn't even know what to do. Uh, so his next desperate thing to do would be, what can he think of? Try to find Findelas, the w- the the last woman that actually like cared for him, even though he he couldn't commit because she right. He didn't have that same kind of love for her, but I mean, he still didn't like hate her. You know? No, no. So he, <laughs> at the very least, he wanted to at least save her life since he basically condemned her to death by letting the sacking of Nargothron happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes to try to find Findelas. He feels personally accountable for her well-being and he he doesn't quite find her he picks up an orc trail and by that time it's it's too late he he finds out what happened to the prisoners that were taken from Nargothrond and he follows them to the forest of of Brethel which is actually just just outside of Doriath it's a, a small portion of the forest that was given to men and the men there let him know that actually all those slaves had been killed. Including uh, Finduilas, who had been uh, skewered to a tree with a spear. Yeah. The the nice men of, of Brethel obviously saw the orcs marching these this camp of prisoners north, and they attacked, trying to free them. Uh, the orcs killed everyone, though, so there were no, there were no prisoners left. Uh, Findelas died, and Turin buried her and just collapsed on the mound that she was buried and was so sad. I mean, at this point, things are going pretty awful for him. He doesn't know where his family is. He thought he was going to go save his mother and sister. They're gone. He thought he would finally try to go save uh, Findelis, the, the the woman that, that cared for him, and she's dead. He's pretty much done at this point. Yeah, and so this, uh, this mound that she's buried in, um, it... Um it bec- it uh they call it what do they call it the the mound of tears or something right yeah Is it's it? it's a it's a renowned place it's pretty sad yeah and you know Turin respects the place and visits it once in a while um, but ultimately he tries to more or less restart his life at this point I mean he pretty much figures he's lost everything so he actually makes camp in Brethel with yeah, these men there yeah kind of lives there for yeah. a little while. He starts living well, with these uh, guys, and then he meets Brandir. That's right. He meets uh, he meets Brandir, who's uh, of the house of Halith, who like runs Brethil at this point. Remember, he's the lame. Yeah, yeah. So Brandir there, the yeah, lame. Brandir is a is a character that uh, basically runs the men of Brethil. Yeah, and um, he uh, takes Turin into his house and heals him up because he's mm. skilled in healing. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, and so uh, one day during a, a particularly fierce storm, um, Turin's men. Uh, after this is uh, this is long after he's been. Yeah, to he's help. been so he's been living in Brethel for a while now. Kind of like how he, he's moving around this whole time. He's now moved to Brethel. He's been living here a while. So yeah, during this storm, um, some of his men found a naked young woman uh, on the mound of Finduilas's grave, and uh, so they took her in. <coughs> This this random, naked, weeping woman who couldn't even speak and didn't even know her own name. Who could that be? Who could that possibly be in the saddest tragedy tale of all time? <laughs> who do you think? Now, at this point, uh, Turin has also started calling himself by another name. He started calling himself Turambar, which means Master of Doom. Because by this, at this point, he thinks he's had all of his bad luck 
behind yeah, him. For some reason, he Turin thought the worst is gone. The worst is behind him. For some reason, he thinks he's mastered the doom. And now he's like, I'm not going to let this get to me anymore. I'm going to call myself Turambar, Master of Doom. And then he finds this naked woman weeping on the grave of uh, the other woman he tried to save. And he takes her in. She doesn't know anything, doesn't know her name, barely knows how to even speak. Now, after a while, he basically nurses her back to health as well. Um, She becomes more or less reacquainted with society. And he calls her Niniel, Maiden of Tears. Because she literally would cry because she knew nothing at all. And the thing about uh, um, Niniel is that she was, especially when they first took her in, she would freak out most of the time. But she was always really calm when Turin was around. It's like they had a special connection. Yeah, it was like they had some kind of connection that they didn't know about. And she was always comforted by Turin. And she took a liking to Turin. So naturally, after years, he decided to to try to marry her. They got along very well. They liked each other quite a bit. Yeah. So he took her for a wife. Oh. Yeah. So he took his... uh, Niniel is a wife, not knowing that it was in fact his sister. His sister Neonor. Man, and like he th- he thought he had his all, all his bad luck behind him. Uh, mind you, he's never met his sister at this point. He has no idea what she looks like or much of anything about her at all. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he would even cross paths with her is just yeah. He's never met her. Like he doesn't know what she like. Right. He's never met Neonor at all. So he takes his sister to wed, and they do so gladly. And actually, they have a brief time of, of some blissful peace between the two of them. Yeah, and, and, and Turin actually gives up going to war for a little while, because uh, she promised, he she makes him promise. I can only imagine, like, this period of time <laughs> for Turin. <laughs> like, oh, God. The one time yeah. Hurin gets to see, like, his kids happy, it's because they're, yeah, living they're married to each other and they don't know it. Yeah. Like, it's like you can't even be happy during the happy parts. Like, no. It's false happiness. It's uh, never it's it's never good enough. It's God, never it's good. awful. Yeah. It's real awful, guys. And then, um, so yeah, she, she gets him to, to not go to war for a while. And um, uh, eventually he has to. He has to. He eventually has to there's war. a problem that comes up. Yeah, and the problem, that problem, is Glaurung the dragon, and he's ravaging the the countrysides, and um, he's basically uh, directly posing a threat to Brethil. Yeah, at at a certain point, for whatever reason, Glaurung starts to, uh, years and years later, he goes and has another somewhat of a rampage, and he starts working his way south, straight towards the forest of Brethel, and he's just burning the countryside as he goes. This is an obvious problem, and Turin, being such the fighter that he is, has to, he knows he has to do something about it. He's still got his black sword. He's got Gorthang, the sword that was made from a meteorite that can cut through iron. He still has the dragon helm of Dorloman. So he's... He's going to try to help deal with it. So, yeah, he eventually, he's like, all right, I'm going to go kill this dragon. Who's coming with me? 
And um, not too many people are, are, are keen on that. Right, he's living with some <laughs> woodsmen right now. He's not living with the noble elves of Doriath or Nargothrond anymore. Yeah. He's just living with some woodsmen. But there are two that stand up and agree to come with him and deal mm-hmm. with this dragon. Yeah, and one of them is uh, is called Hunthor. He is um, he goes in place of of Brandir. He's a he's a, he's a kinsman of Brandir because Brandir should be going, but he's lame. He can't like his leg is maimed when he was yeah, a child. Yeah, so he he's quite literally disabled. Yeah, so he can't. They call him Brandir the lame. Like he can't w- really walk even that really well. So um, so Hunthor goes in his place, and then Dorlas, um, who was actually the first one. He's the one that found Turin. I totally forgot about that. Dorlas is the one that found Turin on the mound of tears and brought him back to Brethil. So Tur- so Dorlas also says that he'll come with. Now on the way of these three men going to intercept the dragon, uh, Dorlas also happens to be a bit of a coward. And somewhere along the way, he abandons Turin and Hunthor. Ye- they, I believe, they try to go down into a, a crevice of the river, right? Right. They so they figure the dragon's gonna pass over this crevice in the river. Right. The the there's a river between the edge of the forest and basically the open countryside that the dragon is coming from. And they figure if the dragon's coming here, he's gonna cross this river, and the mm-hmm. the river has uh, carved out a gorge, so the r- dragon's gonna have to cross over. So this yeah. gorge at some point. So their idea is to we're gonna climb up the the precipice of the gorge. Yeah, they're gonna go into the gorge and try to come. And out. we're gonna fucking yeah try to get this motherfucker unawares from underneath. Yeah, from underneath. And so they're um so Dorlas uh he chickens out. He stops. He doesn't want to do it anymore. So he no. he takes off. Really comes down to it. He he so, pussies out. Yeah, and it's him and Hunthor, and they're climbing up the precipice, and Turin almost falls. He loses his footing. And Huthor grabs him and steadies him. Being a faithful friend that he is. He, is. he is a good friend, kind of like Beleg. But wouldn't you know it, as fate would have it, him steadying Turin dislodged a rock, and it smote him on the head, and he fell down into the rivers below, never to be seen again. The fact that he tried to help Turin is exactly what killed him. Yep. <laughs> so this guy is so cursed that you can't even help him in the slightest way. Because it'll kill you. It'll kill you. And now just another death that Turin has to feel guilty about. Somebody that tried to save him and died simply because they tried to save him. And uh, mind you, this is all happening at the moment that the dragon is crossing overhead. This is a dramatic moment. Like, it's come down to this. It was Turin and Hunthor, like, in the crevice of this river, and the dragon's passing overhead, and they're going to try to do something. And then... Hunthor saves Turin, gets hit by a rock, and he falls and dies, and it's just Turin left. So it's Turin alone. And so uh, Turin basically climbs up to the top, and he stabs, he just buries that fucking blade in Glaurung's stomach. All the way to the hilt, right? All the way to the hilts, yeah, it said all the way to the hilts. And uh, so Glaurung uh, obviously starts freaking out. He starts um, spewing fire everywhere, just burns the entire top of this area that mm-hmm. they're dealing with. Yeah, he made it to the other side of the crevice, but obviously at the expense of getting a sword completely stabbed into him. Mm-hmm. Gorthang, no less. Yeah, the one that can cut through anything. Mm-hmm. Now, also at the same time, 
the blood of Glaurung is just pouring down the sword down Turin's arm. And the blood of a dragon isn't something you want to get on you, apparently. No, yeah, it's very uh, caustic and venomous. And so, so yeah, when Turin goes to pull out this blade, he gets spurted with this this black blood. And it, 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 it causes him to come into a kind of swoon where he, um, you know, he passes out and his hand is all fucked up and burned and venomous. So he passes out in front of Glaurung as... Yeah, he makes it out of... He just is able to make it out of that crevice up to where Glaurung is also now resting on the ground injured and they both kind of pass out there. Now, at this point, obviously the people of the Forest of Brethel knew that they were going to deal with this problem and they haven't heard from him in a little while. So they start to get worried. Um, and naturally... Not many people want to go and check what's going on with this dragon, but Niniel, being in love with Turin, insists. Yeah, she just can't be bear. She can't bear to be apart from him, essentially. So she leads a small group of people, with uh, along with Brandir, the lame, and they um, and they come up to this uh this hill. This it's in it at this point. It's just Brandir and um and Niniel. They're by themselves. And they come up and see that the dragon is dead, or is seemingly dead. And uh, so she goes over to Turin. She thinks he's dead, but she also um, she dresses his hand. Yeah, she starts to treat him. Obviously, she's found him, and he's on the ground, unconscious, not doing well. She starts to treat him. Yeah, so she tears off a piece of her cloak, binds up his hand, and then, wouldn't you know it, Glaurung speaks again. Yeah, the cries of Niniel when she finds Turin on the ground is enough to stir that fucking dragon back to life. Well, not from the dead, but just kind of, he comes back out of it once more before the end. And what does he do? But he tells Niniel, it's nice to see you again, daughter of Hurin. Daughter of Hurin, behold thy brother. Yeah, he says. (laughs) And she's like, she starts putting two and two together. And yeah, she's like, at that point, um, the the curse on Findalus because the dragon. Or I'm uh, sorry, the curse on on Niniel falls off, and she remembers everything. When Glaurung dies, yeah, yeah, at the moment he dies, his enchantment wears off, and she remembers fucking everything, and she loses it. He says something towards the end too. He's like, "Oh, in, oh, this is fucked up." He says the the his mo- um, Turin's most evil deed is within thyself and what he means by that is niniel is pregnant with turin's child yeah glowering basically explains all this and how (laughs) she fell in love with turin the you know the thankless who doesn't care about anyone else but the truest evil of of turin she'll feel inside of herself and it's because she's pregnant with turin's kid and she just can't handle it at that point anymore she yeah she's completely distraught. She um she bids uh farewell to Turin and she says uh goodbye twice beloved, which I thought was so sad when she says that. It's a beautifully tragic. Twice beloved, it's like oh, oh it's tragic. And uh, she finds her way over to the ridge the uh, ridge overlooking the river, and she um she takes that flying leap and she ends herself. She throws herself in. So ultimately, her and Thunthor and and Hunthor uh, died of the, of the same fate. They both 
fell into that river. Never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. Committed into the arms of Ulmo, the Lord of Waters. <laughs> <laughs> Not pleasantly. Yeah. So at a point, Turin wakes out of his uh, his poisonous... Oh, wait, we got we to gotta cover this first. Remember, oh. Br- remember Brandir, what Brandir does? So Brandir hears all that shit go down. Oh, sees, the coward. Yeah, well, the, the lame guy. Okay. Um, Brandier, because he he came with Nino because he was in you know he was in love with her. Right, right. Yeah. So he um, yes, he witnessed. He witnessed all that happen. So he goes back to the rest of the people. Uh, well, first he finds Dorlas in the woods, the coward, and he kills him for being a coward. And then he goes back to the people, and explains everything that's happened, and call and says Turambar is dead, but it is good news, because. He was cursed. He was cursed, and all this evil shit happened to him, and Nino was actually his sister, and like all that happened. Yeah, so at this point, he's pretty much the only one that knows what's up at this point. Yeah, he he's tries the only to one that knows everyone. the truth, and he tries to tell everyone. They basically tell him that he's fucking crazy or whatever. And then, wouldn't you know it, Turin, who has just recently woke up, basically finds these people, and they at first think he's an unquiet. They think he's an angry ghost. Right, because they thought he was dead. Yeah. They assumed that he had been killed. So, obviously, uh, a Brandier, seeing that Turin is, in fact, alive, decides he should probably know everything that he heard right. from Glaurung the dragon. And so, Brandier... Well, because he says to the people, remember, uh, the people shout out to him, and they're like, he said you were dead, and said it was good news. Oh, so he's yeah, Turin's yeah, and they, pissed so off. So he put it. him on the spot, and Turin mm-hmm. is is all pissed off. He's like, "Oh, good tidings, huh?" Yeah, and Brandier's whole like, "Well, w- hold on now, wait, you ought to hear this too." Yeah, you ought to hear this too, <laughs> man. I was there when uh, Nino found you and Glaurung, and this is what Glaurung said. And I mean, Turin couldn't accept it. No, he yeah, he couldn't accept it as as being real, and um, he assumed that it was. Um, Brandier, because Brandier had been in love with Niniel, and he yeah. warned her against marrying Turin time and time again, because he just felt there was something off about yeah, Brandier it. Brandier knew. Yeah, he knew that there was something off about it, and he was always like, wait, don't marry him, just wait. Kind of like how Dokes always knew that Dexter was a serial right, killer. Right, exactly. She's, he's the Dokes of the story. And he, and he <laughs> got the shit under the stick, just <laughs> like Dokes. Just like Dokes. And yeah, so he... Knows and um and Turin's so furious that he draws Anglicel, and he kills him, right there, right then and there, yeah, in front of his own people. And then he is, um, super pissed off, and he just leaves. He right, he doesn't even know what to do at this point. He's uh, he's right. killed the the men of Brethel's leader, yeah, and all this crazy shit's happened with this dragon, and people are blaming it on him. He doesn't think it's his fault, but it in a way it is because he was there. Dragon was coming for him. So he he doesn't even know what to do. So he actually starts to travel back to Doriath. He doesn't know what to do at this point. He starts to go back there. And uh, on his way, he runs across Mablung. Mablung the heavy-handed. Now Mablung, mind you, was with Morwen and Nino when they... When they got separated. Yeah, when they initially went to go look for Turin at Nagarthron. When Morwen and Nino left Doriath to go look for... Turin at Nargothrond. Mablung, Mablung was, was there. So he knew what happened. He knew where they were. He knew that they ran into the dragon. And at this point, he he knew pretty much everything that was going on. 
And yeah, he told um, and so Turin's like basically, yo, what's going on with my family? Where are they? They they're supposed to be in Doriath, and they were like, yeah, they were in Doriath, but they left looking for you. And then they ran into the dragon and Finduilas, uh, or not, excuse me, not Finduilas. Um, Neonor um, was crazed and ripped her clothes off and ran through the woods and yeah. we lost her. Ran off into Brethel. Hmm. Hmm. So Turin at that point, at that, as soon as he says that, like, that she was crazed and naked and didn't know how to speak and fucking left. And he puts two and two together that, holy shit, Neniel is in fact... Neonor, my sister. It's true. It's true. So he again runs away, and they were like, "So Mablong is like super happy to see to her, and he hasn't seen him in years, and he's good to, kn- and he's glad to know he's alive and all this stuff." And then so he's basically like, "Wait, wait, wait!" And Turin's like, "No, no, no!" And he fucking runs off, and um, goes uh, finds some solitude. Doesn't he go back to the site of uh, where the dragon died? Yes, yeah, he goes, he runs back to the... To yeah, the at this died. point, I mean, he's, like, running in circles. He doesn't even know what to do with himself. So, he can no longer live with any of the stuff that's happened to him. I mean, he killed his best friend. Everything that he's done has ended up being for the worse. He's caused an entire kingdom to get sacked. He almost got an entire uh, a band of men destroyed. He ended up marrying and impregnating his sister... Everything has gone bad for this guy. Literally nothing has gone right, guys. And he's even really after, starting to feel it right, now. Even after he thought it was all done and he was the master of his of his doom or his fate. No, the worst was yet to come even. Yeah, he was still in the in the middle of it and he just he couldn't do it anymore. It was uh, at this point that Turin decided to kill himself. Now, and mind uh, you, this is not something that's common in Tolkien. Yeah, there's a there's a few characters uh, throughout Tolkien that kill themselves, and it's always very. Um, they always have a reason, <laughs> like they always have a pretty damn good reason for why they do it. Um, but this is these two characters are two uh, of the only ones that ever commit suicide. Um, there are some, but uh, these are the most prominent, I would say. Um, and then uh, so this is what happens: Turin draws. Gorthang from its from its sheath holds it up and here's a little excerpt of what happened. Then Turin said to Gorthang, Hail, Gorthang, Iron of Death. Thou alone now remainest, but what lord or loyalty dost thou know, save the hand that wieldeth thee? From no blood wilt thou shrink. Wilt thou take Turin, Turinbar? Wilt thou slay me swiftly? And from the blade rang a cold voice in answer. Yea, I will drink thy blood, that I may forget the blood of Belig, my master, and the blood of Brandir slain unjustly. I will slay thee swiftly. Then Turin set the hilts upon the ground and cast himself upon the point of Gurthang, and the black blade took his life. So endeth Turin, son of Wurin, my favorite Tolkien character, by his oh. own hand, by his own doom. Let's just take a moment of silence. Let's just let's just let that in, set in for a second. <sighs> hmm. 
Okay. And it's not even it's not even quite done yet. No, there's still a little bit left. <laughs> when when the people of uh, the men of the forest of Brethel find him, they they turn him over and they found that this crazy black sword that could cut through anything is actually broken. Was broken underneath him. And we don't they don't, I don't know if they explicitly say why, but my theory is <laughs> the only thing that could really break that blade is just pure sadness. Sure sadness. And the, the sheer sadness of the situation, in my opinion, the blade also gave up. The blade committed suicide as well. It 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 was like no, I'm not having any of this horrible shit anymore. I'm done. And it just broke. It willed in my opinion, the blade willed itself to be broken out of the sheer despair of the situation. So you could say that Turin and Turin, Theonor, and Gurthang all kill themselves in this story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Jesus. So at that point, they gather up the body of Turin, and they actually bury his body right near uh, Fendulius, the the woman he originally had tried to save years before, on a high mound, and uh, that's also the mound where. Turin first found Neonor, his sister and wife. And uh, there they put up a tombstone and they set the shards of Gorthang and they wrote on, this, on the tombstone Turin Turambar Dagnir Glaurunga which means Turin master of fate, slayer of Glaurung. And beneath it they wrote Neonor Niniel which both of her means mean mourning and in tear maiden. Very appropriate. Now at this point, Hurin, Turin's father, has been watching yeah, oh, that's everything. Right. This whole time. That's the we only had a thing. guy watching this. The only thing Hurin's been doing is for watching. years is watching this. And at this point, after the death of his family. He's actually released from Angban. I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone else being released from Angban. No, because he was like, "I've done all I can do to you, bro." Like essentially, like you're broken now. Here you go. We're yeah. No, he just fucking released him. Yeah. So after watching the horrible lives and deaths of his family, the father, Hurin, finally gets released and. I don't. I don't even know what I would do if I was him at this point. He starts to travel yeah, back know. south. Of course, yeah, that's really the only way to go. I guess we'll go south. Um, on his way, he actually attempts to enter Gondolin. Yeah, he tries to find Gondolin because he knows generally where it is, but doesn't really know how to get in there. I mean, if there's anyone that he wants to talk to about what the fuck has been going it's on, is Turgon. Is Turgon the last king of the Noldorian elves? So he more or less gets near Gondolin in the general mountain range and he can't find it and he screams and he yells and curses Turgon asking and trying to get in. Nothing happens though. But what does happen is wouldn't you know it <laughs> Morgoth has been watching Turin after he left him. Yeah, he sent some spies. And he knows that he went to this specific region, cried out Turgon's name... So he says, hey, I bet Gondolin's near here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So mm. that was the, the first time that... So, and, that w- and that's what they say might have been the, the evilest of all of Turin's, or Hurin's deeds 
is that he eventually, in some small way, betrayed Gondolin. Yeah. Without he, even really knowing. Yeah, he it. unwillingly revealed the location or the general location of hidden Gondolin to Morgoth. And that. We're not even going to actually touch on that this episode. That's going to come to fruition in our next episode. That's no no good. No good right there. And so from there, Hurin travels down to Brethel, where he has obviously... He knows everything that's happened. He knows that that's where his two kids ended up in the end. And he goes to their graves. What do you... I mean, he's he's a father What who, do you do, right? Right. What do you do? He's a father who's had a pretty horrible life for the past who knows how many years watching his kids' horrible lives and their deaths. He goes to their graves. But... <laughs> While he goes to visit the grave of Turin and Nino, who does he happen to meet at their uh, grave? An old woman, old but beautiful, clad in gray. Gee, I wonder who this could be. But Morwen of the House of Beor, his wife. His wife, Turin and Nino's mother, who, who had disappeared years and years prior during in that big cloud of mist at Nargothrond with the dragon. She. This is the first time we see her since then, and they meet up, Hurin and his wife, at the grave of their children. Mm-hmm. And he uh, and she essentially, they kind of just like, I mean, what else would you do? They just kind of cuddle. They just like yeah. lay on the ground and kind of, they lay against the gravestone. They and recognize they, each other. And the, Yeah, and they just kind of take each other in their arms. And Neither she, of them are doing well. They're both very old and decrepit. And uh, she she basically asks Hurin like, "Do you know what happened to our children?" And uh, he doesn't really answer. He doesn't say anything at all. He doesn't say anything at all. Literally, he does not answer her question. And moments later, she dies. Morwen dies, not knowing what happened, which is a mercy to her. Right, the fact that he didn't let her in on all that shit just before she—I mean, she would have killed herself too. Like, but I mean, you know? I mean, why would you? Why would you even want to tell at her that? At that point, like, yeah, there's no—it's not helping anybody. No, and he's just sitting here bearing all of this the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why we. This is why we got drunk at the beginning. Guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it gets it gets heavy. Now at this point, yes, it continues. <laughs> Hurin is done, and he travels to Nargothrond. He's, I guess he's just kind of revisiting all the things that happened through his kid's life. He so he goes to visit the sacked kingdom of Nargothrond, and who does he find there? But fucking Meme, the petty dwarf, and he knows. Everything oh, that he Meme knows did. about me, he saw everything, mm-hmm. and he finds Meme going and ravaging through the plunders of Nargothrond and all the treasures that were left there, which were only left there because his fucking kid had killed the dragon that left all the shit there. Right? Oh, I'd be furious. I'd be so furious. And he basically confronts Meme and kills him in Nargothrond. Slays him. Meme doesn't know who he is, but he basically reveals himself and says, I know who you are, and I know exactly what happened and what betrayed my son Turin Turinbar. And at that point, Meme, like, shrieks and tries to run, and he just, he kills him. Slays him. 
And uh, so he starts, he goes to look through this treasure and he finds what he deems the most, the thing of most value from the treasure. Because he has one last thing he's trying to do. Because he's got one last thing he's trying to do. Yeah, he's got one last fuck you and he's about to do it. So he picks out this piece of treasure that he thinks is totally great. And he's like, all right, got some guy to see. Who is it? But King Thingol. So he heads his ass over to Doriath to meet King Thingol. And um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite scenes. Uh, is he takes what um, the treasure, what we know to be called the the Nauglamir, which is the a ne- Nauglamir, the Nauglamir, which is the the necklace of the dwarves, which we talked a little bit about. We talked a lot about last. In oh no, ba- yeah, we talked a shitload about the Baron and Luthien episode. Yeah, the Baron and Luthien episode. The Nauglamir is is very important. Think all that when he achieves gets it. And that's it. how he got it. We didn't mention yeah. how he got it, but no, this is how he gets this it. This is how he gets it. Tour or Huron throws it at his feet and say and says, "This is the this is payment for the safekeeping of thy wife and daughter." Oh, yeah, here's for the safekeeping of my family. Good Thanks. Family, yeah. And then yeah, he throws <laughs> throws it at his feet, and uh, so one last fuck you. I mean, Thingol's also uh, an he's a good guy, like despite the issues that Thingol had, you know, with Baron and Baron and Luthien. I I actually really like Thingol as a character. He's a stand-up guy. I kind of like him. He's got some serious flaws, but yeah, I like him. <laughs> I like him. He's got some pretty serious flaws, but. Well, Okay, he's okay. He's no fucking Finrod Feligand. Okay, right. yeah, nobody but, is. Nobody but is. But he's he's still a he's still <laughs> a good guy, and he's not getting pissed off at this obvious insult because he knows he knows, yeah. he knows what's happened to Hurin's family, and he's like, "Hey, man, like you know, you you got to understand, like this isn't anything any of us could have helped, and Hurin wasn't listening to him, and finally, uh, someone steps in. It's Melian, Melian the Maya. She steps in, and she speaks to Hurin and explains to him, even after the death of your children, all of your deeds so far have done nothing but continued to aid Morgoth. And that, something about her magic and what she said finally broke through to Hurin. And that kind of just, like, he snapped a little bit. Like, he he knew that, like, not only had his whole life, like, since he'd been captured, his children's all their lives had been uh um they've been pawns in this game of uh that Morgoth has been playing thanks to him thanks to him and then at the same time he realizes that since he has been released everything he's done only helped out Morgoth right. he probably realizes at this moment that he might have betrayed Gondolin yeah he, maybe he maybe thinks about that they might have i i would speculate that he probably did they don't specifically oh, yeah. they don't say, specifically say that but i i imagine that he he understood in that moment and so, all this understanding coming crashing down on Hurin, he leaves Doriath, and um, he heads out to the coast, and he casts himself into the sea, and ends his life. And so ends the Hurin line of... Hurin the Steadfast. So ends the whole line of Hurin. Yeah, the, l- the, the, the ruling line of the House of Hador has been wiped out. That's the end. That's the end of the story, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's it. That's all we have for you. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> Go home. There's no post credit. 
Well, actually, there is actually kind of a cool. It's not a post-credit no, you should, scene. You should totally read this to pal- So that's that's the uh, that's the end of the story. Um, there is uh, in our research we found something. It wasn't actually this bit of information isn't included in the canon of the Silmarillion. Uh, obviously, Christopher Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien's son, when he put this stuff together, not everything was official and cohesive. So he had to choose things to include and things to leave out. Now, one of the things that Christopher Tolkien decided to leave out of the canon of the Silmarillion was something called the Second Prophecy of Mandos. Uh, Now, basically what it talks about is the end times uh, that prophesized at the end of the world, Morgoth comes back. He finds a way to get through the, what is it, the Gate of Night? The Door of Night. Night. Uh, He finds a way to come back from the emptiness of the void and there's going there's going to be you know like one final armageddon and in this armageddon in the battle against the final battle against morgoth there is going to be a few people that actually battle morgoth hand to hand and the one that actually deals the final blow that's going to kill morgoth is prophesied to be the reincarnate turin Turambar, who will plunge Gorthang into Morgoth's heart and finally defeat him once and for all, exterminating evil forever, and finally avenging the children of Hurin. Yeah, and that's something that was never... So that's not part of canon. Wouldn't it be nice, though? That, I, I thought it, be it was nice? cool. That was a really cool... I mean, Tolkien <laughs> wrote that. It was an idea that Tolkien right, yeah, had. Right, yeah, No, I'm just... <laughs> But ultimately, the final version of things, I guess Christopher thought that uh, J.R.R. didn't actually want to include that in the final version, so he cut it out. But I thought that was really cool. That would have been satisfying, right? Right. Because if anybody got fucked over by, by oh, Melkor... Oh, uh, Turin has been fucked over by far. His whole life. His whole life. Everything Literally. he's ever done. Like, yeah. And that's why I love Turin um, so much, guys. And like this, this character is really close to my heart, just because... Have you ever felt that like in your lifetime when a lot of things are going wrong in your life that you're cursed and like there's somebody out there that's just making it the worst for you? Like that's why I I uh, heavily identify with Turin. He's a wonderful character. Yeah, and he's and like uh, like um like Trevor actually said in our next episode, does he he's kind of a dick, huh? And it's like, well, yeah, a little bit. He's stubborn, but it's because he's human. But it's because he's human, exactly, and he's prideful, which is like, and he he has every reason to be proud. He's son of Hurin the Steadfast, for Christ's sake. He proves himself over and over again. And like he he's also the son of uh, of Morwen, who's supposed to be the most beautiful woman, uh, mortal woman to ever exist. So Turin is like, he's huge, he's strong, he's a sexy guy, he's got <laughs> a lot of good things going for him. But just every bad thing in the world seems to happen to this guy. And there's nothing he can do to change it. But he's badass nonetheless. I mean, aside from impregnating his sister. Not that he knew that. Not but cool. Not cool. We're definitely not condoning no, incest. No, no, no. We're just saying, uh, for as much as Turin Turinbar knew, he did He did pretty well. He did, yeah. He did all right. And yeah, and that's what's really fucked up about the whole story is, like, the time he was at his happiest is when he did his, essentially, his most evil deed. Right. And that's what Morgoth, like, knew and wanted. Yeah, know? I think that was, like, the icing on the shit cake. What, what he knew was going to lead up to. All achieved through his pawn, Glaurung the dragon. And fuck Glaurung, I'm glad he's dead. Yeah, no kidding. It was about time, man. 
Yeah. But that's that's all we've got for you today, guys. Yeah, guys. So uh, hopefully this isn't the happiest. Hopefully there are happier moments in your day than listening to this <laughs> podcast. Nonetheless, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed it. But you should yeah. probably sit down for a drink after this, too. Yeah, have a drink. Uh, be with the ones you love. <laughs> uh, you know. No. Don't don't have sex with your sister. Yeah, just don't. Just be aware of who your family members are. Yes, be aware. Keep track of them. Because <laughs> that's what happens when you don't. Um, well, I, I guess that's it for us, guys. We had a good time talking about this. Is Yeah, this is... Uh, one of my our favorites. favorites yeah. yeah this is definitely my favorite tale um yeah we're super happy to bring you children of Huron, guys uh next episode we're going to be talking about the third of the three major tales of the first age uh and that is going to be a story on Huor's son who you know which is talk about the children of Hurin, Hurin's brother being Huor. Or son. He also had a son. He also ab- had a son. About around the same time. About around the same time. And uh, his story is pretty major as well. We're going to get to that next time. But thanks <laughs> again, guys. But yeah, thanks uh, so much. Um, and read the book, guys. The The Children of Hurin. Um, it came out in 2008, so it was one of the later works of Tolkien. It's so fleshed out um, compared to the version that's in the Silmarillion. It's very complete. It's beautiful. Very, very complete. And also, if you do, if you can, guys... The audiobook, <laughs> the audiobook is read by none other than Christopher friggin' Lee. Do it, and he's amazing. The voice he does, like, oh god, it's so good. Cool. And his Elvish, oh, just when he was like Aure and Tulua, it was fucking amazing, dude. Oh yeah, it's great. Check it out. Check it out, guys. Take care. This is uh, keep on talking. I'm Danny J. This is Joel Lynn, and as always, keep on talking, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>